Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 62. Uh, This is a wonderful, exciting discussion with Courtney Berg. Some of you will have been following her on Instagram already. She used to use the handle Mamba Jumbo. Now she's under Courtney J. Berg. And uh, she's like this wonderful voice in parenting yourself, uh, bringing trauma-informed care to raising your children, and uh, just all of your own, unpacking your own triggers, understanding that when things go funky with our children, very often it's pointing to unhealed pain in our own lives. And so we had a broad discussion today uh, all about healing yourself, parenting yourself, parenting your children, dealing with your inner child and learning to be present to oneself. So uh, if you enjoyed my discussion with Andy Kolber or my interview with Gary Thomas, then you will really enjoy this. Uh, my apologies, the audio quality is not quite my standard. I actually lost it all after I had just finished editing and tidying up and, and clearing everything else lovely. I, I lost it. Uh, my app crashed and yeah, let's not even talk about it. Anyway, this is just not quite up to my normal standard. My apologies for that, but everything is still pretty good. So uh, I'll I'll get out of the way here. Oh, so yes, by the way, I'm on holiday now. So after today, there'll be a break from the podcast uh, until after the new year. And then we'll be jumping right back in. I've got a bunch of amazing interviews recorded and in the can ready to share with you all. So here's Courtney Berg. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much. I'm I'm pumped that we get to do this and uh yeah I, I don't know how long i've been following you but i i have your instagram is a constant source of inspiration and like oh yes yes that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> uh, so yeah this is so fun thank you thank you so can you tell us a little bit about uh who you are where you came from and uh yeah what what has brought you to what's the mumbo jumbo journey yeah. So, um, I live in South Florida. I'm, uh, a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a, a believer. Um, and I'm also sober and that's kind of where Mambo Jambo started. Um, I found myself pretty, pretty strong in the grips of drugs and alcohol. Um, but I was a performer, I was an achiever. So I didn't think that I was somebody that needed to stop because I was getting all of my things done, you know? Yes. And, um, it wasn't until I got married and thought my life was going to be fulfilled and better. And my (laughs) husband found me drinking at home alone that I realized, Oh, this is a problem. Like I didn't dodge the, uh, the, the genetic bullet of addiction. Cause there's a lot of addiction in my family. And, but I just, I, like I said, I thought, well, I've got straight A's and I'm, you know, doing things in my life. And so there's definitely no way it's me. And so, um, from that, I went and got treatment, I got help and I really, um, began the work of like inner child work and just looking at my childhood and, uh, looking at boundaries and, um, shortly after I was pregnant. And so that mm-hmm. brought on a whole nother, uh, list of challenges that scared me to death. Um, but it's also how I've gotten to where I am today. And so I picked up, you know, my pen and started writing again. I hadn't, I've, I've always journaled. I've got boxes of journals in my attic and I've always loved the craft of writing. It's always been my friend, but as I 
began drinking and doing more drugs and running from myself, it was really hard to to do that because I didn't want to see what I was thinking, yes. you know? Yes. And so my husband encouraged me. He said, why don't you like share this with people? And I thought, no way, because at that point I was sober, but the shame was still so thick, you mm, know, yeah. like I was like, no, I just want to get better and move on and not even like look back on this. I didn't want anybody to know. And I did that for a while. I did that for probably six months to a year. And so finally I thought, you know what, like enough with this, like this thing is not going to run my life now in sobriety too. Like I'm not going to hide from this anymore. Mm. And so I started sharing it just with my friends, you know, and they were like, wow, I had no idea. Um, you know, I knew you'd kind of like disappear for the weekend or like, you know, cause I was like a, I was a solo drinker. Like I would come home and numb, or I would leave the party and get another bottle of wine, or I would have a couple before going. Like I was, I just wanted to be uh, out of it because yes. my life at that point was just too unmanageable. And so the sharing with other people, the connecting with other people is really where my healing took off because I realized I'm not alone. That um, while people might not struggle with drugs and alcohol, they struggle with, um, you know, sex, they struggle with gossiping, they struggle with spending, it doesn't matter. They struggle with food. They, I mean, yes, you know, the list of things. The brokenness is going to manifest. I, it doesn't. <laughs> and I realized, oh my God, this is a language that people understand but we're so afraid to talk about it. And so I kind of just took a leap of faith and was like, you know what, whatever uh, I'm going to go for. It. And with that, the community has been built. And I always say that they help me heal more than I help them, mm. you know, um, because I don't plan posts. I don't schedule posts. It's very organic um, because I want to be real about what I'm dealing with, with people. So yes. that's kind of, so it's been five years from wow. that, that yeah. journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. How did that, um, you know, you, you talk about doing your, your inner child work. That's, that's language that I've come to in the last year or so that really, I was like, Oh, I've been doing a measure of this for, for some time, but within my Christian context, I didn't have that kind of language. Sure. We had sort of inner healing, but inner healing was often sometimes kind of like a shortcut to avoid dealing with pain you know, right. sit down with a therapist and it's like, Hey, this might take six months or a year. I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to do some special prayers and have Jesus take it all away. Sure. Sure. Uh, how did you get into that? And, and what did that begin to look like? for you? Well, first of all, it sounded like hocus pocus to me. Like I was like, this is baloney. I don't have to go back and like, look at my childhood and there's no little kid inside of me. Like that just <laughs> sounds ridiculous. And then the more I started reading about it and the more I started kind of just like being open, I realized that, you know, in order to move forward, sometimes we do have to look back and not to stay there, but just to say, hey, um, that happened or this didn't happen and I needed it to happen. And now I know how to give it to myself. And so in terms of like Christianity and God, um, I'm a firm believer of miracles and I'm a firm believer of prayer, but I'm also a firm believer of like, it's a daily thing. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't just go away, you know? And so part of the inner child work and the healing work is really just tuning into that. For example, if my husband upsets me, oftentimes uh, he's triggering something inside of me that reminds me of like my mom talking to me a certain way as a kid. It's rarely ever what he's doing in the moment. <laughs> I tell people often, like everything has been done before. 
Mm-hmm. But, but, but I want to jump on my husband about it. And so inner child work has made my marriage better. It's made my parenting better. It's made the way I work with people in the world better because I realize that um, I have control over myself, yes. you know, like, and I can dig in and say, Hey God, I'm going to use this trigger to, to teach me about myself and the areas that I need to heal. And so I don't think that it's one or the other. I definitely think that it's prayer, it's God, it's inner child. It, it's all to, it's all of it. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't think that we have to pick. I think that God provides us tools that we can use, you know? And yes. he's like, Hey, this has been here for you. And, and, um, and it's working because like I said, in those moments where my child triggers me, I realize, uh, it's often about me and nothing about them, yes. you know? So. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I can relate to that so much. Like, I've, <laughs> I've been a very emotionally forward kind of guy and have struggled with that, especially like as how I fit into masculine culture. Sure. And, and in the last couple of years, I've been becoming a bit more at peace with my own emotions. And, and back in January, I felt like the Lord say to me, Jonathan, I've surrounded you with people who love you and you're mm-hmm. the only one who doesn't believe it. And mm-hmm. actually you're the only one who can bring your heart to believe it. Mm-hmm. And I had no grid for for that. And I did a I did a podcast right here with a guy who said to me, Jonathan, you know, you could spend a whole year just learning to love yourself. That what would happen? What do you think would happen? Right. You know, you know, someone says something to you and it it lodges, it sticks oh, in you, and you're like, totally. Oh. But it's only because the hole was already there to be lodged yes. in, right? Like, and so you know, we, we search so often for people to affirm us and to accept us and to remind us of our greatness. And we spend very little time doing that for ourselves. And that's what inner child work is, is that it's literally saying, I don't need anything in the world to complete me. Like God made me whole. And um, yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, there's areas of my life that I wish were different, but I'm learning to love myself. And I will say five years ago to now, it's like, I rarely get rocked. I rarely get offended because I almost always know how to go back to my center Mm -hmm. that says, Courtney, like you're taking this personal and remember, it's not about you. Like Mm -hmm. they're not, and it, and it connects us back to our people, right? Like that's what we ultimately want in life is to be in relationship with people. And so when we're walking around wounded and pissed off at everybody, and hurt by everybody yes. and blaming everybody for the way that we feel in our life or the circumstances in our life, it just disconnects us, right? Like we're running around and then we just continue trying to search and figure it out. And I think that's where a lot of people come to my page and say, Hey, Oh, like this is a source of healing that I can actually do on my own time, you know, but it's very, um, I say there's crickets in the beginning. Like it's very, <laughs> it's very weird. You're like, well, definitely. Back. Okay, but it's a mind it's a mindset shift, you know? Yes, yes. I mean I, I I went after that podcast with that guy and I went to a conference and I felt like God was like, Yeah, it's time for you to go and sort this stuff out yourself. And I didn't I hadn't I haven't wasn't following you at that point, uh, or really anybody saying those kinds of things. But I had I had grown up with uh a str- in, a, in a tradition that has a very strong value for letting the whole the spirit lead you. And sure. so I was like, All right. So I sat down on my couch. And I put my hand on my heart because I'd seen a guy do that in a video. And I was like, Jonathan, I love you. Mm-hmm. 
and crickets and crickets <laughs> and crickets right? and it totally was there. weird you know what what comes to my mind is is home alone too when when uh, kevin's playing the video out of the, the bathroom and tim curry's the 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 hotel concierge and he's like <laughs> making him getting us get on your knees and tell me you love me and he's like uh-huh. i love you and he's like, you got to do better than that <laughs> and i'm just like this is weird but mm-hmm. i kept going and honestly within like you know it moved beyond crickets and then it and then it moved to like this hurting child like that i've been ignored all these years and then totally. it moved into like rage like right like i would be saying loving committing things to myself and i would feel the the rage within that's like you wouldn't sacrifice a single friendship for me right you would rather spend time with any single other human on this planet than with me yeah and i'm like hold on now this is real this is very real and aspects of that yeah feel like i've been holding this kind of loosely together for a very long time Sure. And, and a lot of us do come from like really quote unquote healthy families. And they say, well, I don't have any wounds from my childhood, but the reality is you had a coach or a teacher or an aunt or a sitter or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that uh, reinforced a, a little, little seed that was planted early on, you know, from zero to seven are like the most formative years of a child's life. And something happened and then happened again in a different way, whether, like I said, a first romantic relationship or a job that didn't just work out. And it happened and it reinforced that belief that I'm not enough or that I, uh, I can't be loved or that I'm not successful or whatever it is. And what happens is, again, when you're in the kitchen with your, your spouse or your child comes in and they, they trigger you. It really isn't about what they're doing. It's about that belief that you've been carrying with yourself. And, but we don't want to look at that belief because we're like, well, no, I'm successful and I love myself (laughs) and I'm enough. But the reality is it's not true. Like we really do hold a ton of insecurities that we've, that we've carried with us. And so when you say you have that rage or a lot of people feel sadness, that's that inner child saying, wow, you're finally tuning in a little bit. Like this is me inside. And you know, it's just imagery where um, you know, you're, you're, you're learning how to, uh, set boundaries for your inner child. You're learning to show up for your inner child. You're learning to advocate and protect him or her, um, which, you know, people don't have to use the inner child, uh, you know, lingo if it's not comfortable for them, but it's just basically saying, Hey, um, like in the Christian world, God gave me this one life, this one life. And, and I'm going to do what I need to do to the best of my ability because it's a gift, you know? Totally. And, and, and I know I, I run into people who, who are like, oh, well, you know, Jesus is enough. And I'm like, well, Jesus is enough to work with you to bring all your broken parts back together. How about we just complete that sentence? Because yes. there's so much scripture, you know, I will, I will take your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. I will, uh, you know, the Lord, he makes me lie down besides still waters, he restores my soul. Like there's all of this motif all throughout scripture of the broken being made whole. Uh, and yeah, I, what I, re- I think as I realized too, for me is as I, I think the big surprise was that as I began to care for my inner child, 
which actually as a kid's posture is language that works really well for me because yeah. I can sit down with a kid. No, you know, it was somebody said, I, re I was reading somebody and, and they said, you know, when was the last time that you sat with a child or a, or, or a person who was hurting and consider your stance and the compassion that you probably showed to them quite naturally. Now consider the last time that you did something stupid and how did you speak to yourself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I am not kind to myself. Right. But if I was a child, maybe I would be kind to myself. And it helps. It helps totally. to say, like, like when we make a mistake, we like self-sabotage and we beat ourselves up so bad. But if it was our child, we would say, hey, it's just a mistake. We'll just try better next time. And we're on to the next thing. With us, it, it doesn't work that way. And, and the same thing, I, I wrote a post a couple like months ago, like um, similar to what you just said, it, you know, um, we, we don't like to sit with ourselves when we're hurting, right? Like we'll show up for other people, but we don't like to sit with it. We like to run or numb or, uh, you know, angry, like we're angry. We have so many other responses rather than just sitting with it. And I think that, um, my husband will tell me a funny joke every once in a while when it comes to like God and, and, you know, you, he says, you ever heard the joke? And I'm like, I know it's coming. Right. I guess I've heard this joke. Um, about the guy who wanted to win the lotto. And he said, God, please, please, I really want to win the lotto. And he didn't win. And then the next week, God, please, please, I want to win the lotto. And finally, God said, listen, you, you've got to buy a ticket, right? <laughs> like, you've got to buy a ticket. Like, I can only do so much. And so when we say that Jesus is all I need, absolutely, Jesus is everything. But but we have to be willing to buy the ticket, right? Like, yes. and that's what I think some of this work helps us do. He's like, I'm here. I've always been here. I've never, I've never left you. However, there's things that, um, thankfully we have in our world today that we can utilize to, I think it doesn't separate us from him. It brings us closer to him. And it also, again, brings us closer to the people that we love, you know? And I think that that's, that's the most important thing because hurt really does separate us, yes. you know? Yes. Well, that's right. And so that's fascinating because I always thought for the longest time that it was kind of like sin that separated us. And, and I had this very like sin is the bad stuff that I do, but why do I do the bad stuff? Well, because I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And as I began to connect with my inner child and, and go through this journey and understand actually what's happening in the brain in response to trauma and understand, you know, that trauma is everywhere. Yeah. All of a sudden I'm like, I don't think so much about sin anymore as just simply like I'm looking for comfort. I'm oh, desperate to not feel totally. This. And so, yeah. well, yeah. So, so I was like, what, what, do, what do we do with a hurting person? So what is God's orientation towards us? If he just sees us as like the hurting wounded people that we are like, like I'm finding there's no room for punishment in my framework anymore. It just doesn't make sense. Well, it just doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work. Like it doesn't work punishing ourselves. It doesn't work punishing our children. It doesn't, it just doesn't work because, you know, punishment just uh, grows shame. And we know what shame does. Shame keeps us quiet and it keeps us uh, sick, you know, and it keeps us hurting and it keeps us alone and nothing good comes of that. Um, but, you know, but I think that there are natural consequences and I think that there's discipline. Um, but 
but going back to what you said about like I kind of just thought I was a you know a bad person or you know it's like no we're just hurting people or we're just scared people you know when your body goes into a physiological response to something with like say trauma with children you know they they fight so that's anger biting bullying um you know, they freeze up. So they just withdraw. They're like unemotional. They don't want to do much. They're just detached. Um, and then there's like a new response that they talk about now is called fawn, which is a really like, I feel like I'm a fawn. It's, you know, you people please, you know, you, you, um, you have no boundaries and you just show up and you give up yourself because again, uh, especially in the, the Christian world, we're supposed to love and give and sacrifice but yes. we forget the other half of that. Like, but no, we're supposed to be good stewards of our time, of our talents, of our resources, yes. you know? And so like, it's like the scripture has been cut in half, you know? Totally. And, and I'm like, no, that doesn't mean that. It means God says, I gave you this one life, this one opportunity, and you've got to protect it and you've got to protect your people, you know? And so um, I think that when you, when you reframe, again, it's a, it's a mindset shift, whether it's yourself or your children or your spouse or whoever is oftentimes a behavior that we see is a response to um, being afraid or being hurt, you mm. know? And I think when we think of it that way, again, we can take it less personally. Yes. And, and we're moved with compassion, which surely is the, the most consistently like the consistent response we see from the character of God in all interactions with people. Uh, sure. Yeah. I think, I think the thing that took me by surprise, well, and many, many things took me by surprise in my own journey, as I'm, as I'm sure you can imagine. But when I suddenly started to realize, I feel like actually I'm partnering now with the work of God. Like I'm becoming a conduit of God's own love for myself. And I've felt yeah. like I've put that on everybody else. Like I've made everybody else be God's love to me. Right. And, you know, and then I got married and hoped it would be my wife. And then we had mm -hmm. this major blow up on our honeymoon that we discovered recently. We've still been acting out of like 14 years ago, some major dysfunction in our marriage because for both of us, because of something that happened on our honeymoon. And so I'm like, well, then my wife's not going to fulfill those needs. So then I've kind of gone the bad boundaries route and found all kinds of other people who satisfy my needs emotionally sure and then that's obviously reaped all kinds of mistrust in my marriage that I've then put and blamed my wife and so it's like this whole year has just been like this wild journey where God's just like actually I've been here loving you this whole time and I have surrounded you by people who are part of that journey but but there's this huge missing piece that looks exactly like you mm -hmm. <laughs> um and when I realized it's actually like bigger than me, that actually God has this agenda of wholeness that I get to partner with, then it's suddenly it's really dignifying. Mm -hmm. Like it values my humanity rather than just I'm trying to escape my humanity. Well, and it's less exhausting. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I feel like, um, like for me, I can relate because it was drugs and alcohol, and then it was my husband. And then there was a part of me that thought motherhood would fulfill me. And I think a sure. lot of women go through that like kind of depression of like, oh my God, this doesn't complete me. Yet society makes me think I should feel blessed all the time. And I do, yes. but I'm also really tired and really like wanting to use my brain, you know? And so I think that, um, you know, we have to come to the end of the road over and over and over to to realize that 
that we don't have to go down that road anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. like, like you said, God has always been there. And, and if we can just learn to turn inward and not just with prayer, but like just really connecting with who we are, you know, like, and whose we are, like just really having, it's just less exhausting. And when I say that this healing work, I say, I say it lightly because when you do it long enough, it becomes integrated into your life. It's no longer this thing that you have to do. It's like you want to do it. It's a part of, it's like brushing your teeth. You're like, mm-hmm. I know I need to do this and I like doing it because it makes my teeth clean, you know? And so it no longer feels like work. And what happens is if you do it long enough, not only does it become integrated into who you are, but you're also pouring that over into the relationships around you. Like you're free, you're freeing other people because no other person wants to hold the responsibility of being that God in your life. Like that's (laughs) heavy, right? Like my husband doesn't want to be my all and my kids don't deserve to be my all. Like I'm burdening them with this responsibility of fulfilling me. Like how unfair is that, you know? And so now we can all be these free beings that love and connect and support and encourage but that we have one God, you know, like, and that's his job, you know? And so it's, it's been, it's incredible, but I can totally relate because I've, I've, like I said, I've gone down many paths that led me back to me and God. (laughs) Like, okay, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But like you touched on earlier, like that we, we love others kind of at the expense of ourselves. Like, it's like, we've been fed this, you know, we, we say, you know, love God, with all your hearts online. Great. Love others as you love yourself. But we've kind of like love others at the expense of yourself. I think right. it's kind of the way we've translated that. We have. But like the original literally is like intrinsically love others as you love yourself. If you don't love right. yourself well, that is a crappy deal for every person around you. But here's the thing. Uh, like, I, I think that not only have we translated it differently, but that it becomes now this like enmeshed uh, symbolism of like, okay, but I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And that means I have to invite them over every weekend when my family cooks out, or that means I have to overlook when he gets plastered at my kid's birthday party, or that means, no, it means none of that. It means Mm. I love you. Even if it means from a distance, even if it means I have to cut you out of my life, even if it means I tell, you no, like time and time again, you know, when my husband told me no over my drinking was that the greatest act of love I've ever experienced, Mm. right? Like a husband or a wife, or, you know, when we have addicts in our life, we think, well, I'm supposed to love them and accept them and be there for them. I call BS. Like, no, like Jesus uh, got angry. Jesus put his foot down. Jesus said no. And I think that we believe that Jesus was just this like gentle uh, man that walked around in a robe and never like, raised his voice and and we forget the alternative side of him <laughs> which was like no like and i mean it yes. like we won't do this anymore and so i think that we just have to be you know i did a workshop with dr cloud and he mm. wrote the book of boundaries yeah. and i just like he's a mentor of mine and i when i read that book i thought here is my key to freedom mm. because i was really struggling between Christian life. How do I love God? How do I love Jesus? How do I make sure that I'm showing up for people? But then I'm also sick and I'm ill. Like I have shingles on my body. I'm not sleeping. My back hurts. Uh, Like 
I was drinking, I, I was running from myself and from everyone in my life. And, and I was like, what is, what do I do? Like you said, what do we do to the other? Like, what does it look like then? And that book really revolutionized the way that I believe uh, God wants me to run my life. Like he gave me a set of uh, tools that I can use and it doesn't make me a bad Christian for using them, yes, you know? Absolutely. And, We'll take a quick break to thank my Patreon supporters. I do not take any advertising on this show. Obviously, I do point to resources uh, produced by the people I talk to, but that's not because I'm paid to. It's because I like supporting people. The people who support me are the ones who make all of this work possible. Podcasting and writing, pastoring is my full-time work. I'm not paid for any of it, and so my Patreon supporters help me uh care for my family. So thanks to Chris, my latest supporter, and thanks to everybody who uh, is supporting me, whether you're giving $3 a month or 10 or 25 or 50 or more, all of you are appreciated and thank. I'm so thankful for you. I sent out some Christmas cards just the other week. Hopefully those will be arriving with you all shortly. So if you want to support me as well and uh, sew into this work, then please go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. You can uh, support for as little as $3 a month. And that is a huge blessing to me and keeps this show on the air. Thank you all. Uh, back to Courtney Berg. And so I think we just have to be careful when it comes to scripture that we're not interpreting it uh, and, and punishing ourselves in the process, because yes. I think it happens a lot and we punish the people around us too. For sure. You know? I did, a, I did an interview earlier this year with Gary Thomas, who's got a book out on when to walk away and finding freedom yeah. from toxicity. And, and he said to me, Jonathan, you know, we, we see Jesus as this constant martyr that in every situation, he's this martyr. He's like, Jesus went to the cross one time, obviously mm -hmm. very, very importantly and willingly, but there's all these times where Jesus bolted, where Jesus like whispered, like whisked himself away in the crowd because they were trying to kill him or throw him off a cliff or like Jesus actively resisted being physically hurt. Yeah. And we've, we kind of don't hold on to that, as you said, in our, in our narrative. We forget yeah. or we're not taught it and society doesn't, it, that doesn't sell. Like, let's be real. It's not, it's not a sellable <laughs> like <laughs> scripture, like, it doesn't, it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell on t-shirts. It doesn't sell. It doesn't look pretty. Um, and you know, when he, there's several boundaries that Jesus made where, you know, he, he separated himself from the disciples to pray. Like I need alone time, right? Like we feel guilty taking alone time. Oh, he sure. walked, he got movement. He ate well, like we forget that he's right? like really for holistic for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like, we, like we, we think of him, like you said, as the martyr, um, and the sacrificial, uh, act of love. And we forget all the other aspects to, to who he was and, and what that models for us now in our life. And I think it's unfair for, for this generation and the next generation. If, if we don't, if we continue to paint that picture, you know, yeah. like, I think that we can be fiercely devoted to God and fiercely uh, rooted in boundaries and love and a commitment to healing, because then we don't then pass on um, the unhealed wounds that our ancestors carried. Yes. You know, we're saying like, I'm going to blow the whistle on this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to find a post of yours here and it's probably a little while back so I don't remember now but you know I've heard you I've read you write things about you know uh 
those gifts that we can give to our children of, of mm-hmm. doing our own heart work of healing, of not passing on that non-function to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where would you say, obviously we say where that, where, where do we begin with that in terms of our own journey, but maybe just in terms of a parenting context as a train. That's a train. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, in terms of parenting context, you know, where, where would you see making, <laughs> making some of that shift um, for parents who have grown dissatisfied already with, you know, the tools that they had, the kind of harsh disciplinarian approach, but they haven't really felt like they had permission to pursue an alternative. Well, first of all, that was me like three years ago. And so my daughter's four and right around one, um, you know, they become real people, like really opinionated, really like they're walking, they're kind of talking, but kind of not. And they're like little monsters. Let's be real. Yes. And I, uh, that was when I realized that, um, you know, I didn't, I was spanked. We talked about that earlier. I was spanked. Um, I was, you know, raised Irish Catholic and it was like, you know, you don't talk back and you don't. Uh, and so I was a, a very afraid often of my parents, but I kind of believed that that's just what parents do, sure. you know? And so when I became a parent, my, I, even when I was pregnant, my husband were like, yeah, we'll spank, we'll spank. You know, we were like, totally, we're going to spank. And then I had this little baby there and I was like, this isn't going to work. Like, I'm not going to hit her, you know? And so, um, when I began initially being triggered by her behavior, I would, um, slam doors. I would throw her in timeout. I would grab her by the arm and walk her. And and I'm definitely not proud of it, but it's the truth. And I would go in my room and cry. And my husband and I were disconnected. And I just was like, this isn't working. And she started laughing about timeout. And I just, I didn't want to be this domineering parent. I didn't want her to be afraid of me. But the truth is we, we parent the way we were parented. There's apparently like a 20 trains going by my house right now. (laughs) I don't know what is going on. There's like a train brigade. It's okay. I like trains. So I do too. I, we've always lived near this train, but I didn't realize this was such a popular hour. So, you know, I feel like we parent the way we were parented and and a lot of people become parents and say, I'm never going to act like him or her, but you do because it's, because it's in your conditioning. Mm -hmm. You will respond exactly how your mom responded. You will respond exactly as your aunt or your dad or whoever took care of you the majority of the time. And so for me, I had to kind of make a choice. Am I going to start responding differently or am I just going to do it this way? Because that's how I know how to do it. And I, and I decided to say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do, do it different. And I always tell people when you rewire your brain, so this is going to go from like kind of the spiritual to the actual chemical physiological side. So when you rewire your brain, you have to drive down that road. So you know, your old conditioning, the way you were parented. So for me, I'm a yeller, right? My mom was a yeller. She would spank us. We'd get sent to our room. I remember crying my eyes out, going to sleep, waking up. Nobody would talk about it. Right. So that is what I just thought was the right way to do it. Now that's the road I've always traveled in my brain. Okay. And 
if I want to rewire my brain, I have to choose another path. Unfortunately, that path is like covered in debris. Um, there's trees and you don't know where to turn and it's just really uncomfortable. Yes. But in order for it to become comfortable, you have to do it over and over and over yes. and over. And so I will tell you in the beginning, the resistance was so high for me. And then slowly I would like do it right. Right. Mm -hmm. Meaning I would get down on her level. Uh, I would lower my tone. I would check my body language. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to draw whatever I, I was trying to, to get her to not do or to do differently. And I didn't do time out anymore and I didn't hit and I didn't, you know, I, I comforted her and I connected with her because again, behavior often in a child is an unmet need. Yes. And when they're tantruming, when they're, my, both of my girls were horrific tantrumers, uh, like slobbering fists, pounding on the ground, rolling, um, like yes. scary, scary. Mm. So, but when I learned about that's a survival response in their brain. So they're going actually into the primitive lower brain. Um, they literally black out. Right. Yes. And so here I am saying, you need to knock it off or you're going in a timeout or we don't do that. They're blacked out. You're wasting yeah, your it, time. The prefrontal cortex is offline. There's no logical offline. reasoning capacities. They don't even have the developmental uh, ability. So yes. I'm asking them to speak a language they don't even know how to speak. And then I'm getting more mad because they're not listening. And then I want to get physical and like put them in their room because that's what happened to me. And that's what I think is right. Or even if I don't think it's right, that's how I respond because it's, it's a conditioning. It's a reaction. And so part of healing and acknowledging triggers and sitting back and saying, wait a minute, I don't have to respond that way anymore. Um, and then choosing to do it another way, that road then begins, like it, it, it starts to become paved, right? Yes. Like it's a little less scary. There's less resistance. And then now, like now fast forward three years later, like I really raise my tone to her. I never slam doors anymore. Um, you know, I have a two-year-old, right? So I got to do it again, <laughs> like all of it. <laughs> and yeah, there's moments where I need to walk away, but I'm not going to punish her for a behavior that she can't control. Um, and we connect and we play after and, and we move on. And if we need to talk about, uh, I always say, save the teachable moment for after, like talk about it later. You don't need yes. to talk about it in that moment where they're scared, um, and angry. And so, um, I think that that's part of what has worked for me is that just acknowledging again, that I've got, um, power over how I respond, yes. you know, and it breaks cycles. And so now I'm parenting them. Hopefully they'll want to bring some of this parenting with them, right? Yes. Like they're not going to not want to do it, uh, this way. And, and, yes. it, and, it, and it's, we're connected and they feel safe. Children more than anything need to feel safe. Yes. And, you know, we, we, I think as parents, often a parent from a place of fear, which says, I'm in charge. You need to do this right. You need to use your manners. You need to share. Um, because we think that that's the right thing to do. But if we really looked underneath that, it's because we're afraid to look like bad parents or we're afraid that our child's going to turn out bad. And I just don't want to be prisoner of that anymore. Yes. I want my child to feel safe. Uh, I want them to regulate with me, right? Like if I'm slamming doors and if I'm screaming, guess what my child's going to do? Of Slam course. doors and scream, right? Yes. Like, but I want them to chill out, but I'm not chill. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you need to calm down, you know? And it's, 
So we have to regulate with them. We have to co-regulate. We have to model that. But it's really hard if you weren't modeled that as a child. So it's important for parents, especially, and caregivers and teachers to check that, to check that childhood and say, what did I get and what do I want to give? Because then we can, we can take back our power and we can consciously decide. Yes. Yes, exactly. When I was, I mean, I was spanked as, you know, as we discussed and, and never in a, and never even close to, to abuse situation. My parents were very kind, very loving and, you know, always explaining things. Uh, but I realized, I'm like, you know what? I think actually that those conversations that we had, they're the ones that did the work. Like the spanking mm-hmm. didn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it, it sets us up. I remember when my eldest son was oh, like two or, or, or one, just getting into that age. And I remember the first time I spanked him, he immediately turned around and slapped me in the face. Mm-hmm. And... I could not figure out a way to explain why my action was okay and his was not. Right. I was like, to a one or two year old, yeah, okay, so this won't work. Uh, you know, and then and we began to, you know, get into guys like Dan Siegel and understanding mm-hmm. time in and a bunch of that we did instinctively, like like you know, like you said, but but then thankfully you know with once the boys grew up because we have two boys and then a girl that she's kind of like hit a whole new set of triggers for my wife and I that, that mm-hmm. like was like she's just different and <laughs> just the other night actually I followed some of your I think it was some of your advice um on the co-regulation front where oh man it's like we make so much progress and then I feel like the temptation is like okay sweetheart you're really wired up you need to breathe you need to breathe. <laughs> but again, I'm locked up. And so totally. she, she was crying unconsolably. And uh, because I think because I had laid with her and then she was like, no, now I want mommy to lay with me. Now this girl is seven and mommy laid with her until mommy could not tolerate being there anymore. And mommy had left. And that was just too, too sad of, of a happenstance. So I'm now back with her and she's like sobbing to the point of like hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. And I, and I got really frustrated. And then I suddenly re- like remembered everything and I picked her up gently and calmly and I held her to my chest mm-hmm. while I breathed. Yes. Tell her to breathe, but I practiced it. it. It's amazing what they pick up. They pick up what we do. Yeah. Right? Like she came down in like right. 15 seconds. Like she I was like, you are kidding me. She feels your calmness. You know, there's a thing called mirror neurons, right? Mm-hmm. In our so Uh, Again, going back to like a physiological standpoint, like when I see you pick up your drink right now, I want to grab my tea. It's just like, I see it. I'm like, oh, I've got my tea back here, right? We're kind of reminded of of, uh, mannerisms or, um, you know, if if you see somebody smiling, you kind of like, you're like, oh, I'm a little bit happier. Like I want to smile, you know? (laughs) So we have these mirror neurons. So when you're breathing like that and your facial expressions are calmer and you get down to her level and your body language, for me, my body language and my tone are the biggest challenges because I can get really snotty really fast and I can totally get the cold shoulder, right? Because again, I think it was because, not to blame my parents, but 
like I got sent away when I would have a tantrum or get upset or we would disagree and then we wouldn't talk about it. So there was this cold shoulder for a few days. And so by nature, that's what I do. Um, And I have to fight past that. And again, I've gotten better at it. But when I show myself as being calm and regulated, they totally mirror that. I mean, it's, and they want to mirror that. They don't want to be upset. I think that that's what's helped me too, is like, they don't want to be shaking uncontrollably. They don't want to be snotting. But if you real, if you look at it as like, they're scared, like they're scared and they're hurting. I think as parents, we take it, we, the anger level, right? Cause we're all tired and we want to go to bed and just go to bed. And you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to be in a family. Let's be real. There's a <laughs> yes. lot of personalities, a lot of needs, like it can be crazy. But if you look at it in the, like in the moment, like, this is my responsibility to show her calm. Like mm. we can do it. But I, I will tell you, I can feel when you said, like, I could feel myself getting angry. The fact that you even notice that is a win mm. because oftentimes people just, uh, they just go into that anger, like yes. that spiral. Yes. And like noticing is so powerful because when you notice, then you can pause. And that's when you can drive down that other road, right? That road you're paving. Yes. That is profoundly what happened. Uh, And then it's a win. And then you, and then you celebrate it. Don't forget that. Because in the beginning I used to never celebrate it in my mind. I was like, man, like, cause usually like three times in that day, I did it wrong. And then that one time I did it right. But I look at the three I did wrong. Sure. I'm like, no, that one time that's paving my road. That's amazing. Yes. Like we yes, have to exactly. celebrate the wins, you know? Yeah. And that's going to be harder for some people than others. Right. If you're, if you're, I mean, if you're a neogram biases you towards like truth and justice and things like sure. that, and you're always condemning yourself. Um, thankfully I don't live in that space most of the time, most of the time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and I love what you said too there just about that kids kids don't want to be in that freaked out space. Like like children naturally want to mirror the behavior that they're witnessing. Like that's totally they, you, you are their everything. And so I, I like it's it seems really terrifying to vocalize this, okay? So I'm going to vocalize it and you can tell me if it's okay. But it seems like maybe we should be spending less time uh telling them everything we want them to be doing and maybe just doing it ourselves. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I, I think that we need to be spending like 90% in that zone. And that's why, again, doing the work on ourselves, a byproduct of that is our relationships, which mm-hmm. is parenting, which is breaking cycles, which is, um, you know, I think it, it just, another thing I wanted to mention when you were talking about that moment is, I don't know if you know much about attachment theory, but yeah. I, I love attachment theory. And one of the the parts about um, being like anxiously attached as an adult is often because as a child, we had a parent that was our loving, nurturing caregiver, but we also had the same parent that screamed at us and spanked us and sent us away. And it's very confusing for a child um, when that, that person in their life is both. Yes. Right. Like it's really confusing. And so if you think of like an animal, uh, here you are feeding me, cuddling me, nurturing me, tucking me in at night. But the second I, I step out of line and I have a big emotion, um, you can't handle it. And now I'm being punished for that. And so I don't know where we stand. Yeah. Um, and, and I like to also uh, refer it to like when I'm having a bad day or I'm having a bad moment or something scared me. 
and I was, you know, crying and talking to my husband about it. How would it feel if he just like sent me into my room totally. or like spanked me? Like, right? Like, yeah. it's like, no, like you don't hit me because I'm sharing with you this big, if anything, it's a gift that our children come to that, yes. come to us for that, with that. Because, and so when my child tantrums now, I look at it as an opportunity to connect and to regulate with her. I literally can see it coming and I'm like, okay, here it comes. Here's my practice. And I can take a breath. I check my body language. I check my tone. I work to co-regulate with her. And then we always connect and find safety and play afterwards mm -hmm. because every single time I do that, it lets her know that mommy is safe. You can come to me with anything, yes. right? So talking about biblical standpoint, there's nothing too big for our God, right? Mm -hmm. Like we want to be that in our, in our child's life until they can depend solely on God. Like that's our responsibility for their independence to be on us. And then it's to be on God. Right. Yes. And so, but if we can't handle them in their worst, like yes. if we can't do it, like God doesn't just push us away when we're having a, a tantrum. Could yes. you imagine? We all well, be that's screwed. It. That's it. We'd all be screwed. I, I was discussing some of this a couple of years ago with a friend. And, and again, I didn't have the language for it. I was, at that point, I was just like kind of from instinct. I know this doesn't work. And partly I'd already connected the dots where I'm like, I know this is not the way the father responds to us. And this, this friend of mine doesn't have kids. And she she's very kind of like driven. And, and she's like, no, it just, just doesn't seem, you know, I think you really need to be strong on that discipline and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. There's obviously a lot you can get into there. But I said to her, I said, when was the last time God sent you to the corner to think about what you've done? Like Never. alone. Never. And she broke down right there. And I realized, okay, I, this is actually clearly like a, something that you're working through. I, I don't, I'm not going to, I didn't realize, <laughs> but I'm not going to push. But Because we don't right? want to be that way as parents. That's the problem is we don't want to be that way, but we don't know how to do it any different. And so we're afraid. So mm. when our child acts out, we're afraid. We mirror that to our child. And so now we're just a fearful family living in a house together, right? Like tiptoeing yes. around each other. And like you said, God has never once said, whoa, don't lose your temper with me. Whoa, don't cry those tears. Whoa, don't turn your back on me. But when our child does that, oh, mm. Lordy, like we like to be boss, yes. you know? And, and, and it gets us nowhere. It gets us nowhere. I mean, if we want to talk about unconditional love, that's where it's at. In the moments that our child is the least deserving of it is often when they need it the most, yes. just like us, you know? Yes. Okay. So how, so we're living, let's say that we are in that house full of fear. Um, where do, where would, if you were to give people kind of like a simple practical nugget to start that work themselves or to continue that work for themselves? Sure. So I think, um, you know, it's easy as a parent to say, well, how do I fix it with my child? And you fix it with yourself first. And mm -hmm. so I think that the biggest uh, tool that I have used is, um, well, for parents, I have a breaking free journal, which I use, which I created for people to use. And that's on my website. They can get that later. That helps you really look at triggers and boundaries. Um, again, it's, it's implementing it into your own life. So then you can model it for your child. And that's when that, that relationship gets better. Um, and I think that the other thing that people really miss out on, especially uh, Christians, I guess I could just stereotype that, is we think like if we pray right? Then we're done. Like we've yes. prayed, we've connected with God and we're done. 
But I think it's important to really spend that time praying, meditating. And I, I like to just, I say, I turn in, turn in. If it's your spirit, if, if people listening right now, if that's not their thing, whatever it is, it's to get quiet. And because I think some people, um, maybe not your, your listeners, but are a little uh, intimidated by prayer. They're like, what do I say? Who is this guy? You know, like, you know, and so I just, I always recommend just spending five minutes alone, just really carving out that quiet time, because what that's going to do is it's going to bring to the surface often the things that we are staying so busy avoiding, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, I, I know I'm bringing up my husband a lot because I just think that it's an easy example, but like, say you're having marital issues and you really think that it's your partner. Like you really are just like, they're doing X and Y, and if they would only change then I'd be happy and I'd be less resentful (laughs) and whatever, you know, if you spend that five minutes, it, it brings so much clarity and peace. I mean, set your timer if you have to, because I think that what we're doing, uh, culturally is we are a culture of, um, we're task oriented. Like we have to like jump out of bed and get on with our day and get our kids ready for school. And we're not connecting to who we are. Right. And so five minutes a day for me, I include journaling and prayer in that. Um, I also include breath work, but I think that the quiet time will help people wherever they're at in their life, in their challenges, in their healing. It, it allows a moment to bring it to the surface because you don't know what you need to fix until it's there, you yes. know, yes. but if you're not quieting down enough, you're never going to get it, mm-hmm. you know? And so just spending five minutes sitting outside alone, not with your phone, you can meditate. People can meditate with music or not. I prefer not because I want to yeah. hear my thoughts. I ran yeah. for, from them long enough, you yes. know, <laughs> spend five minutes of, alone and just, and just really tune in. And then that for me, the second half of that is journaling because I find that when I put pen to paper, um, it's like talking to a friend, you know, and I'm able to really look at my marriage, my parenting, and I'm really able to say, okay, this is an area I want to work on. Like my breaking free journal is there's areas that you can work on each day because I think that it just becomes too much when we're like, I've got all of this to work on. I'm not going to do any of it. It's too much. And so with it, I have, you know, boundaries, I have trigger work, there's different areas that you can pick, depending on what you're working through that day or that week. Mm -hmm. And, and you can look at it and you can say, and then you can look back in six months and say, whoa, that doesn't even bother me anymore. Like I've Mm -hmm. totally overcome that, you know, and it, it, the problem, the problem with this is it's so easy that people don't do it. That's the truth. It's so easy. It's, it's like, how can 10 minutes change my life a day? Well, it can't if you don't do it, you know, <laughs> it's, that's for certain, but that's what I would recommend for people. If they're like, I've been praying, I know that I'm being triggered by my children or I'm in a new relationship romantically. And this guy is just not, you know, doing it for me. And I think it's because it's stuff that I'm, I need to work on or even, I tell people even in their careers and there's a boss that's just like talking to them and it's a, and it's really affecting them, you know, it's often because it's reminding them of something from their childhood or their early formative years. And so you might not ever get back to that one moment or that specific person or that circumstance, but it will help, help you lift the veil of it. 
you know, mm, and begin to yes. move forward. And so um, that's, that's what I always recommend. Again, very simple, but that's often why people don't do it because it, because it's so easy. They think it's not important. Well, it fe- yeah. Cause I think, I guess it feels like that whole world is like this mystical shrouded, just pain center of, of trouble. So why go there? And it seems so insurmountable that, that it must require an immensely complex solution uh, or years and years of therapy. And obviously some people are going to require years and years of therapy, but yeah, either way. Thank you. I like that. Well, and the problem, not the problem, I'm all a fan of talk therapy, but the, the hurdle with talk therapy, and I think that this new age of therapists are really catching on is that talk therapy, um, it, it doesn't address all areas of your brain. So a lot of your emotional memories, um, you're only getting to the surface, but you're not getting to the subconscious. And I feel like um, the subconscious is what helps us. We we can dig deeper into that when we really spend time with ourselves journaling. um, And just, just like I said, like digging in it's, there's nothing to be afraid of. What is more scary to me today is allowing my subconscious and my conditioning to control what I do. Yes. That's more, that's more scary. Yes. I, rem- I remember the moment when I felt the pull to a false comfort that I, that was familiar to me. And I sure. suddenly realized how damaging that would be to me. Totally. And I was like, totally. Oh, wow. I don't even a, want to damage. And a myself. lot of, a lot of us are living asleep. Like we don't even, but that's the beauty of this work is that if you spend some time digging in a little bit and really asking yourself some hard questions, um, again, my journal works. Um, there's plenty of other, uh, prompts out there. You know, there's no perfect right way. You have to find what works for you. But if you start really tuning in, I guarantee that you'll find that often the conflict that we face in our life is from unresolved pain, hurt, trauma, insecurity. I call it enoughness. Mm. And until you get to the root of that and begin healing it and, you know, setting new soil and allowing that to grow, you're going to be living from that, that point of not feeling enough in every area. And, and that shows up with, like you said in the beginning, that shows up and it manifests in your body. It manifests in your relationships of like, my wife's not fulfilling me, my job's not fulfilling me, my you know, whatever it is. Well, that's because it's not meant to. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like we could do another whole discussion on like intermediate level, kind of like, how do we deal with ourselves, Courtney? This was really, really great. Um, Where can uh, people go and to get your book and learn more about you and follow you? Yeah. So um, my website is mambojambo.org. And um, then on Instagram, I am, my handle is at Courtney J. Berg. Um, and then on there, you'll see uh, in my bio a link that has the blog I just shared with you. And um, I have my Breaking Free Journal Guide in there. If people are just kind of like, I want to get started, but I don't know where, spend five minutes a day, print that out. It's like I said, really simple. You just have to do it. And one of the best ways to begin inner child work is showing up for yourself in those ways so that you can rebuild that trust in yourself. Um, and I think that's it. My website and Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. 
Uh, Courtney, would you pray for us as we yes, start to try to. that journey for those who are like, what? Oh, yes, I'd be honored. Um, yes. So uh, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for giving Jonathan and I a few moments together this morning to connect and to share with listeners um, some of the insight that you have given us. Um, Lord, I just pray that whoever is listening today, that they're just reminded that um, it's not too late to begin healing, that they are enough, um, and that you created them to live whole and to live free and to live empowered. And that can begin today for them. So I lift everybody up. um, And in your heavenly name, Lord, we just thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go and check out Courtney's resources. They're linked in the show notes. You can grab, uh, sign up for that journaling resource she mentioned and follow her on Instagram. As for me, I'll be taking a little break. We'll be back in January with a whole bunch more wonderful interviews. And if you're not following me, make sure to follow Jonathan Puddle on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can stay up to date on this podcast as well as my other writing, and I've got a bunch of exciting book news that will be released very shortly, so you can stay in the loop. You can subscribe to my emails. You can read my stuff at jonathanpuddle.com, and I will see you all soon.